0: Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. We're
1: going to say Psalm 121 responsively, so I'll say the odd verses. You respond with the even. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I help the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shield at your right hand. Sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore.
0: And Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Luke 9. And uh, Jesus was on a journey. We're thinking about journeying today. And Jesus went on the greatest journey the world has ever known, the journey from heaven to earth. He became a man. He started in Galilee in the north of the country. And then the turning point, you might say, in Luke's gospel is this verse. Just listen to it, Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And from then on, for the rest of the gospel, Luke points out where he is on the journey, heading to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, back to glory. Let's pray. Loving Father, we're all conscious that we journey through life, some skipping through at the moment, but conscious of challenges ahead, others trudging, or almost, almost come to a stop. And so we need your help, both in clarity as to where we're heading, and in how to get there. So please help us through your word, we pray. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Now listen to this song, and uh, please, no shouting out, but as soon as you recognize it, just put your hand up. I'm sitting in the railway station Got a ticket for my destination Mm On a tour of one night stands My suitcase and guitar in hand and every stop is neatly planned For a poet and a one-man band Oh, that was almost there. But um, I was so tempted to sing along, and, um, but I wanted to keep going. Homeward bound. And it was interesting, the first hands to go up were the rather older ones, because that came out of the 19, uh, 1960s, the mid-1960s, written, so I'm told, at Widnes Railway Station, which is a slightly strange place. For a man from America to be, but he was on a tour around Britain, there he was in the Northwest, and he longed to be home, homeward bound. I could actually have chosen a whole number of songs, and I wouldn't be surprised if immediately you think of other homeward bound songs. Michael Bublick wrote a song, Home, John Denver, Take Me Home, Country Roads. There are poems. Robert Browning's Home Thoughts from Abroad. Oh, to be in England, now that April's there. But actually, I don't think we have to sort of fish out there to songs and poems that others have written. I guess those songs and those poems have an echo in our own hearts. And for for some of you right now, that's a very deep echo because you're a long way from family and friends. You long to get there. But interestingly, even human beings who've only ever really been in one small geographical part of the world often still have a sense that they don't quite belong. And there's a a feeling, a, a weird kind of ache. There's a book that was published, I think, a year or two ago about this theme of home. And the writer says this, Home represents humanity's most visceral ache. And our oldest desire. Oldest desire. Why? Because the Bible says we were made to be at home with God. And the Garden of Eden described in Genesis 2 is a beautiful picture of home for humanity. Perfect relationship with God and with one another. But then we choose to leave home as it were to turn our backs on God. And God and his justice as a result. Bars the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so human beings are a long way from home. That's part of the human condition by nature. C.S. Lewis said, we are displaced persons. But our old homeland burns and glows in our hearts. And ultimately that's where that sense that we don't quite fit comes from. That homesickness, even if we wouldn't quite use that language to describe. And that big story of the Bible, how we've left home with God to wander away, is reflected in the history of Israel. So God gave them a home. And God Himself dwelt it in the heart of that homeland, in the capital city, Jerusalem. There was the temple. And there we have God graciously calling a people back home with Him. But the terrible story of Genesis 3 is repeated in the history of Israel. They don't stay at home. They wander away from God. And the result is judgment. They end up a long way from home. If you want one of the great homesickness poems in human literature, you find it in this last book of the Psalms. Remember, there are five books. Book five contains Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem. That was home. And they're not just homesick because they're a long way from their geographical home, they're spiritually homesick. They're a long way from God. And it seems these Psalms, and we're looking at a a collection, just giving you a bit of an overview, within that final book of the Psalms, book five, Psalms 121 to 134, are so-called songs of a sense. And no one can be quite sure when they were first sung. It's clear that they weren't originally written as one unit. They had different authors. David wrote, or is associated with four of them, Solomon with another. When were they brought together? Most scholars think very likely it was as the pilgrims travelled towards Jerusalem, because they were scattered around the whole of the country, and there were three great festivals in the year when they'd go up to Jerusalem. And literally, it would have been up. It was, it was a high place. But from wherever you went, even if you went in Israel from a higher place, just as we might say, you go up to Oxford as a student. You go up to a capital city, up to London. They were going up to Jerusalem. And very likely, these songs were gathered as a kind of uh, pilgrim praise. Here are some songs that would be sung as you traveled. But no doubt these songs were also remembered as they sat down and wept in Babylon longed for home. These songs had a special residence. They longed for the journey back home to Jerusalem and to God and his temple. And Christians sing these songs as well. Because our ultimate home is the new Jerusalem, which will come down out of heaven from God, we're told, in Revelation 21. And at last, God will restore the world as it should be, with perfect peace. Peace with him, peace with one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we've come to Christ, we've begun the journey. Interestingly, Christians weren't called Christians, mostly, in the ancient days. But one way of describing Christians were those who were followers of the way. They began a journey, taking up the cross and following Jesus on the way, the road, the walk of Christian discipleship. Have you begun that journey? Well, how's it going? Some of you are charging forward. You know where you're heading. To glory. Jerusalem. Heaven. While we wait until Jesus' return. And then the new creation. Others of you, perhaps, yes, you would say, I've begun the journey, but to be honest, I'm limping along. I've almost stopped. Others of you, you wouldn't call yourselves Christians. But I think this sense of Life as a journey hits all of us. It's a terrible thing, though, isn't it, to be trudging around because it's an exhausting journey, but not quite sure where you're going. And perhaps you sense you don't know where you're going, and there's this sense of lossness, of homesickness. And I hope you'll discover there is a goal in sight that you can head for if you put your trust in Christ. So we're going to get a, an overview you might call it sort of taster menu in these songs of ascent. So just a little taste of a number of them. To be honest, I don't know quite how far we'll get this evening. But we'll certainly look at the first three Psalms uh, one, two, one, one, 2, 2, and one two three. And we'll see, just put up the on the outline, please. There are three foundations for pilgrimage. So before you're even going to set out on this pilgrimage, which for the Christian is the Christian life, these three foundations need to be in place. And it seems to me no accident that these psalms are placed at the beginning of this cycle of songs for the journey. Psalm 120 is the first essential foundation for pilgrimage. Dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction because we're a long way from home. The song begins in a distant land. Psalm 120, we'll see that in a moment. And yet I hope we'll get time to see at the very end of this cycle of Psalms, we reach Zion. And so there's a a progression within this collection of Psalms. Psalm 120, look at verse 5. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Meshek, as far as the scholars can work out, in modern Turkey, Kedar, in the Arabian tribal areas they are a long way from each other so it's impossible for him to have lived in both places at once a long way from each other but you might say more to the point a long way from Jerusalem one right up in the northwest the other right down in the southeast and even more significantly a long way from God because it seems these are metaphorical places and he's saying "Where is me Verse 1, I call on the Lord in my distress. Where is me? Because I'm not at home. I live amongst the people of Meshech and Kedar. You might say, I live amongst barbarians. I live amongst Philistines. I live amongst those who don't worship and honor God. And I don't feel at home here. There's that sense of dissatisfaction that, as it were, propels the pilgrims on the journey. If you feel at home in this present world, Why bother to begin a journey away from it, towards your true home? No, you'll just settle where you are. And there are some who are at home in Meshech or in Kedar. A place of lies, verse 2. Deceitful tongues, verse 3. A deceitful tongue. And of course it was lies that first persuaded Adam and Eve to leave the home of perfect peace with God. And the lie came. I know, if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. The lie that true peace is found away from God, putting yourself first. And many fall for that lie. And that deceit leads to division. Another mark of what Christians call, and the Bible calls in the New Testament, the world, human beings in opposition to God. It's division. Division from God and therefore division from one another. Verse six: "Too long have I lived amongst those who hate peace." Well do you feel a sense of dissatisfaction? I was talking to some friends of mine recently, that their, their son has sadly moved a long way from the Lord. And they said, we, we chatted with him last week, and uh, he was happy, and uh, we were sort of torn by that, because of course we wanted to be happy, but we don't want to be happy in a distant land. And it was only when the prodigal son, who at first believed the lie, that life would be much better away from the loving father's embrace. It was only when he realized how low he'd sunk, when he, in the prodigal son, Luke 15, came to his senses, realized how miserable it was that he began the journey home. Dissatisfaction is the first foundation for pilgrimage. But then we move on to Psalm 121, confidence, protection on the road. If some are held back from their spiritual journey by the attractions of the world, others are held back by fears about the journey. And the Psalm begins, verse one, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. And it's quite ambivalent. We don't know why he's lifting up his eyes and what he's thinking as he looks there, but I wonder whether he's thinking of the hidden dangers. And certainly we know from the parable of the Good Samaritan where a man was journeying from Jericho to Jerusalem around hills. If you've ever been there, they're full of hills on that journey and some robbers came and uh, beat him up. It's a dangerous place. And, of course, robbers could hide in the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills he's worried and maybe for some of you what's stopping you even beginning the christian journey or what's stopping you striding forward is fear possibly fear of rejection the sense that if i put jesus first and really go for it in the christian life i'll be leaving some of my friends behind and that'll be hard And I'm I'm not sure whether I'll find others to join with me in the journey. Fear of being alone, perhaps, which to some is a crippling fear. And more important than going through life with Jesus is is to find other human beings who will be close to us. And if that means clinging on to those who will not help me follow Jesus, I'm tempted to go that way. Fear of loneliness, fear of discomfort. And how easy it is to take life easily. Of course, as soon as you go on a journey, there's threat. You're going to face unknown things. On Wednesday, we had our world-focused prayer meeting. And it was thrilling as I looked at virtually all of those people I remember when they were much younger. And in most cases, they weren't thinking of going all over the world to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But they had the courage to go where Jesus was led them and of course when you start out going with Jesus you've no idea where he'll lead you and that's a bit scary because you're handing over control to someone else because he's going to set the destination of your life maybe fear holds us back but the psalmist says I lift up my eyes to the mountains where does my help come from glorious answer verse 2 my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth you scared of heading forward in the Christian journey? Maybe scared of one particular step. That's going to be very costly for you. And the psalmist says, listen, you're not on your own on the journey. You've got the greatest of all helpers, the maker of heaven and earth. Interestingly, he doesn't dwell on that fact. He's the God of all might. What he dwells on is a stress that this God, the maker of heaven and earth, who cares for you, is always with you watching. So it may be that you think, yeah, I believe in God. I believe he's mighty. But as one friend of mine said to me very honestly just a couple of weeks ago, I've no doubt that God is sovereign. I just doubt that he cares. I've no doubt that he's in control of everything. I'm just not sure whether he even notices me and my problems in life. It was very honest. And sensing that maybe that's the issue for many of us, the psalmist just states, he's the maker of heaven and earth, by the way, once. And then six times he says, he's watching over you. 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 you." That word watching comes again and again. And verse four, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's never distracted. So when bad things happen and life's hard, it's not because he's distracted and doing something else, he's still watching over you. Verse five and six, at any time of the day or the night, sun and moon. Verse eight, whether you're coming or going, Wherever you are, end of verse 8, both now and forevermore. That's pretty comprehensive. So my dear brother or sister, you worried about one particular step, maybe the next step, or a very costly step in the Christian life, or just generally worried about going forward to the unknown? Some of you are about to leave Oxford. Maybe you've been studying, just about to at school, at uni, new job. It's scary. He's in absolute control, and he's watching. Confidence, protection on the road. And then the next psalm, here's another foundation for pilgrimage. It's longing. It's one thing to say, I don't want to stay there anymore. That's not my home. It's another thing to say, I've got the confidence to begin to step out. But where am I heading? And this next psalm focuses on our longing. The longing of the pilgrim. Motivated not just by what they're running away from. I don't like this. I don't fit here. But a direction that they're heading towards. Longing, which is peace in God's city. That's where we're heading. Verse 1 of Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So when we gathered to do pilgrimage, and by the way, this is something they never did on their own, and you notice constantly, they're speaking to each other, encouraging each other, and when others said, let's go on this journey, not just individually, but together, oh, my heart started beating, and I thought, yes, I want to go on this journey. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, And then, verse 2, straight away, he says, Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. And it seems a bit strange. I rejoiced when they said, let's go. And it seems almost as if he's arrived already. That was a quick journey, wasn't it? And he describes the city, verses 3 and 4. It's where God's people meet, in God's house, to sing God's praise, in the presence of God's king. And quite possibly, as he's setting out with others on yet another journey that would have gone year by year, three times a year, he's remembering a previous time when he's got there. And it was amazing. It's worth getting there. It's wonderful to be in the presence of God's people when we sing praises, maybe at the Passover or at the Harvest Festival. And that sense of expectation keeps him going on the next journey. But then notice the shift in the psalm. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This joyful expectation then morphs into fervent prayer because there's a realization although he's been there before and it was wonderful, it's not absolutely secure. This is not the heavenly Jerusalem that the Bible ultimately points to. Yes, there are great things about being with God's people in Jerusalem back then, but this is not the end. It still has threats. And so pray, verse 6, for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Verse 8, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. This is not a prayer for us as we pray it today, for an end to the tensions in the Middle East. It's a great thing to pray for. But that's not what this psalm is talking about. Because for those of us who are Christians... Jerusalem, and all it represented then, is now fulfilled in Christ. So Hebrews 12, verse 22 says this to Christian people, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Because the ultimate place where we meet with God is not some human earthly building, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put our trust in him, we've come back to God. We're at home. And spiritually speaking, we're there in the heavenly Zion. But for the time being, we must live in, if you like, the Babylon of this present world. And we're a church on pilgrimage. Not yet. completely secure. Sadly, still often divided. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem is really saying... Pray for God's church. Pray for those who are facing destruction and hatred in other parts of the world because they're Christian. Pray for one another that as we travel together, there'd be an amazing sense of peace and unity. And pray that ultimately, what God has promised will come. The perfect peace that Jesus came to establish would be fulfilled when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God that is our longing a lot of people have no idea where they're heading to in life and the great thing is if you're a Christian you know if you're not where are you heading to the grave is that literally the dead end one friend of mine in his late 70s got cancer and the he was then told it was terminal and he said with uh, sadness because he was worried about what he was going to miss and yet with real hope. You know what? I'm absolutely convinced the best is still to come. That's the longing, peace in God's city. Now we haven't got time to look at all the other psalms and I want to give you uh, a taster and I want you to keep looking through these psalms and see the way they help us to, to form our heart longings and encourage us on the pilgrimage. So what I'm going to do is give you an outline for the final few psalms. Here are some marks of pilgrims. And you might want to jot those down, or at least remember them, or even take a photograph. And they might help you to look at those psalms at the end. But great to look at the other ones in the middle. Three marks of pilgrims. There's the beauty of Psalm 131. A quietness of spirit. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not ha- haughty. I've calmed and quieted myself. I've reminded myself that I'm not the ruler of the world, but God is. I've become, verse three, verse two rather, like a weaned child with its mother. And you remember those times when you, you, you'd, you'd stopped because you wouldn't remember being in your mother's arms, literally feeding before you were weaned but once you're weaned there's a bit of independence and yet you always come back to mother at least you can And that's the beautiful picture that David says even though he's the great king of Israel he says actually spiritually speaking even though I have got a bit of independence I need to keep on coming back and there's a wonderful security in my mother that's the Christians attitude quietness of spirit focus Psalm 132, you'll have to look it through, but it's very interesting. Same great thrust. It's about Zion, which is Jerusalem. It's about a longing that God's temple, his dwelling place, would be established again. The Babylonians destroyed the temple completely. And they longed for the temple and the city to be restored. But right at the heart of this psalm, it's there in verse 10, is the king. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. He's there at the beginning of the psalm, verse 1. Lord, remember David. He's there at the end of the psalm, verse 17. Here I will make a horn. That's a symbol of strength. Grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. Anointed one, that means Messiah, Christ. And we've seen right from the second psalm where God says, I have installed my king on Zion my holy mountain, that the Psalms are encouraging us to look for that moment when God's Christ comes and when he's installed, as it were, in the heavenly Jerusalem. When the Christ is established as king, then at last the new Jerusalem can come and then at last we can be at home again. Well, as I said at the beginning, the Lord Jesus came on a journey. And it was a journey from heaven to earth, and then from Galilee to Jerusalem. He set his face. Why? Well, the Christ, the king, had to go to Jerusalem. He went to the temple in Jerusalem, but that wasn't the ultimate destination. He then went to the cross. And yes, he set his face towards Jerusalem, despite his followers saying, no, don't go, because they'll crucify you, they'll, they'll, they'll kill you. And Jesus knew he had to die, but that was not the ultimate destination. He died so that we could join him in the ultimate destination. Because we deserve to be banished from home like Adam and Eve. We turned away from God. We deserve that banishment. How can we possibly come back home because Jesus Christ faced the penalty we deserve as we're going to remember as we take bread and wine. And then having died, He rose, he ascended, and one day he'll return. And all those who are waiting for him, who've already spiritually come home to Jesus, and have a sense of home by the Holy Spirit as he lives within us, we are his temple. We then will be fully and finally home. And then at last, all these promises that the Psalms point to will be fulfilled. So our focus is hope in God's King, And then at last, you'll have to read them for yourself. Psalm 133 and 134. Home sweet home. It's a beautiful picture in 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. No doubt they had a sense of that as they traveled on that pilgrimage. It's a wonderful thing. And you can imagine them going past one house and... And a little group from that house would join them and going off, another group would join them and then they'd go past another village and, and that village would join them and they'd gather more and more as they went and that was just one tribal group and then they got there and the, all the tribes represented. It's a beautiful thing when God's people dwell in unity. It's a beautiful thing to travel the road together. I couldn't last one day in the Christian life without fellow pilgrims who urge me on, who lift me up when I'm ailing, keep pointing me to glory that is to come. And that sense of unity, which I hope we have today, despite our weaknesses and sometimes our difficulties with one another, our unity is represented by what we're about to do as we gather around Jesus, who died for us, who offers us forgiveness on the same basis through his broken body and his shed blood we're at peace with god through christ and we all take of the same bread that's why it's beautiful to have just one loaf here which represents the fact although there are lots and lots of little bits of bread it's one of the reasons i don't really like this way doing communion we've had to do it since covid but it could give the impression we're just lots and lots of individuals with little bits of bread and little bits of cu- little cups but actually symbolically we all eat feast on one bread jesus And his blood shed for us as we journey looking forward to the glory and the blessing that is to come. Turn up Psalm 134 and we're going to end with this. This is is home, sweet home. This is where we're heading. This is where the, the whole Psalter is heading. We've seen every book, all five books of the Psalms end with an exhortation to praise God. This is where the journey ends with peace and praise in the presence of God. It's where, as we'll see next week, the whole Psalter ends. With Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, all exhorting us to praise the Lord. So together, let's say Psalm 134, together. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. Amen.